Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Today we'll be reading from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if you first of all open your Bibles to Exodus 20, we'll be reading 1 through 6. All right, Exodus 20, 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The second passage is from John 10, 1 through 18 in the New Testament. So again, that's John 10, 1 through 18. John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the stranger's voice. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters... By me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. Amen. Well, uh, let me start with a, a question. How do you take your burger? Very important question. How do you take your burger? Um, I mean, there's lots of different ways, obviously. You can go to Macca's for a quarter pounder. You can go to KFC for a zinger. You can go to Hungry Jack's for a Whopper Junior with cheese. Get a Nord burger and get your hands on a quality kind of American style cheeseburger. I found myself the other day at Betty's Burger uh, in the city, and uh, you know, for what was a pretty overpriced burger, to be honest. But um, I don't do that very often. But um, you know, lots of places like that, right? And I went to Betty's Burger, and you can order your burger kind of off the menu, and then you have all these options, right? How to take things out of it or add things into it. So you can add an extra patty, you can have extra cheese, you can 
pop in some different sauces, you can have jalapenos, you can put in pickles, you've got to have pickles, right? You've got to have pickles on a burger. Um, so many things, you know, you can pick and choose how you want to roll. Um, so much so, right, that there was so much variety that I'm standing there kind of working out what am I going to have on my Betty's burger, and I look over my shoulder and there's this massive queue of people forming. I actually think that's why they're so expensive, because of the time that it takes. You've got to pay these people. Anyway, the burger was good. It was delicious. How do you take your burger? How do you take your God? How do you take your God? Because that's the way a lot of people think, right? I'll, I'll have the, the Christian God. Um, you know, there's Allah, there's uh, the Hindu gods, there's maybe Buddha. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Christian God. I'll have that one. Uh, but, uh, but I don't want judgment. I don't want judgment. Uh, we can leave that one off. Um, yeah, a little extra spicy sex. Yeah, I'll take a bit of that. That sounds pretty good. Um, would you like commitment with that? No, 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 no. I don't want commitment with that. No commitment. But I will have, I'll have a side order of forgiveness, like just a small side order of forgiveness. And you know what? I'm going to share that side order with someone else because I don't need that. I don't need it too much. All too often, right? That's how the world outside and how the world, and maybe even inside the church, kind of thinks and operates about when it comes to God. I'll have God, but like this, I'll shave that bit off. You know, that, you know that bit about jealousy, that he's a jealous God. No, 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 I don't want that bit. He's, that sounds a bit like pickles to me. I like that bit. I'll have a bit of extra of that. I'll frame my God as I kind of want him to. And often, right, the God we kind of frame looks a whole lot like me or you. It's precisely the issue that's at heart Uh, as we come to the second commandment in the third week now of our Good Life series, looking at the Ten Commandments. Uh, The second commandment basically says, don't do that to that idea of picking and choosing how we would take God, a bit like how we would pick and choose a burger. You don't make for yourself God. You shall not make for yourself an image of God, uh, an image constructed by things on earth or things in heaven Above. That's what we're going to learn about today as we come to the Word of God. So let's pray and ask God to help us understand His Word. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we say it often and it's easy to take it for granted, but we thank you and we praise you that you have revealed yourself, that we don't have to guess what you're like. We're not uncertain about your character. You have revealed yourself and you address us in your words. Help us to respond rightly, Lord, we pray. Help us to to worship you as you have revealed yourself. For that ultimately brings honour and glory to you, and it's also good for us. Father, please be at work in us at this time by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start by saying this. Let me start by saying that jealousy, it can have many causes, um, it can take many shapes, but it's always kind of ugly. Um, at work, right, um, we can be jealous of someone's success, uh, jealous of someone's salary, jealous of someone's perks. Um, on the uni campus at uni, we can be jealous of other people's marks. We can be jealous of how easy some people pick up kind of information and understanding of things. We can be jealous about the offers that they kind of get. And jealousy can fester, it can corrode, it can twist a person, it can destroy one, and it can then explode in kind of rage and revenge. I don't know, maybe in one of those, you know, getting even in the office kind of manoeuvres. Jealousy is an ugly thing. 
Which is why it's so odd to read, as we just did before, in Exodus chapter 20. I hope you've got your Bible open wherever you are. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, which says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. There are exceptions, right, to an ugly jealousy. Um, Adele, my wife, one day looks in my wallet uh, and discovers alongside her little photo that was taken back in 2001 is another photo of another woman, um, I don't know, at least another nearly as glamorous kind of brunette. And it might be that at that point, I'm about to experience that jealousy can be expressed in an outraged love, rightly outraged love. And that's God's jealousy here. The root of the Hebrew word jealousy is red. God is red with righteous anger, not green with envy when he confronts his rivals. His burning love won't allow him to tolerate any competition for his people's affection and love and their worship. Which reminds us, right, of the context of these Ten Commandments. They're not even called Ten Commandments in the, in the Bible. They're ten words. They're instructions from the Lord. Um, the context for the giving of these commandments is the Exodus, where God rescued his people out of slavery and oppression in Egypt and brought them out under the blood of a lamb on their way to the promised land. Um, have a look with me. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 2. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We are reminded that um, grace comes before the law. That God's expectation that his people would be obedient to him comes as a result of his salvation. The gospel comes before the gift of the law. That's the context for the, the giving of these ten words, these instructions. Now, when I face this second commandment, though, the context I need to think of is, is more the marriage bed than the boardroom or the university campus. Because there in the marriage bed, God's rivals sorry, are not part and parcel of the working life or the student life. They're an outrage to God. And understand God and understand God's jealousy rightly and we'll actually understand this second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol. And of course, the moment you hear that commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, um, our minds start running. You know, if we think about obeying that, maybe we're running now to think, oh, I've got to go back to my bedroom. I've got to go back to my workplace and sweep all those little statues on my desk off into the rubbish bin because they don't belong there. Clearly, that's laughable, really, isn't it? Because... Well, we don't really have any. And I think that's why, of all the commandments, this is the one I think we can feel most comfortable with. It is where it all began, that sort of statues and idols and things like that, which we might call material idols. Um, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Um, literally, as the, uh, the older versions of the Bible sometimes capture where they say, you shall not make for yourself a, a graven image. You know, the idea of carving something out of a tree or um, chiseling something out of a big block of stone or marble. It's how we tend to think of idols, right? Statues of this and statues of that. 
as if the almighty living God could be reduced to a bit of stone or wood, as if the creator could be captured in something, something that human hands have made. So when you flick forward to the New Testament, Romans chapter 1 speaks of what we do and it puts it this way. Human beings claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I know that really in people's minds, an idol is a kind of solid metaphor. God is like this. But see, making an idol of God, it's, it's a bit like trying to play a Beethoven symphony on a harmonica and say, see, I captured it perfectly. You reduce it, don't you? And it's, you distort it completely. People back in the ancient Near East, you know, the time when the Israelites were kind of being formed as a people and, and people throughout history have depicted their gods in all sorts of ways. And if their desire began kind of with the best of intentions and motives, it then became quickly distorted. Um, some people um, in the time of Israel depicted their gods as bulls, you know, to capture the strength and power of their gods but quickly over time it would distort into it also not just involving power and, and, and strength, but virility and sexual prowess. That would become who their God was. But idolatry, right? Even this material kind of idolatry can creep closer to home. You know, even churches in these days can fill their spaces with pictures of people or statues of people and then surround those pictures and statues with candles and, and people kind of kneel down and worship them. That's probably not a big problem for us at City Light Church North Adelaide uh, where we don't really do that kind of material idolatry. But idols do distort Idols also localised, right? God was almost too closely linked to the temple in Jerusalem. Um, imagine what it would have been like if there was an image of God in that temple as well, our material idols. They, but that's where it begins, right? But in 21st century Adelaide, in 21st century City Light Church, North Adelaide, it's often the mind, isn't it, that creates the idols. More what we might call... I don't know, mental idols. John Dixon calls them idols of the mind. It's how we think about God. There's no statue on the desk that we bow down to. There's no paintings or pictures in our church that we put candles around and bow down and worship them. There are images, though, in our minds. And whether at work or at rest or at play, an image can just be, well, it can be just as distorting. No Man made God in his image. No, that's not how it was. God made man in his image. But it's true that we can sometimes turn that upside down. And we, we think of God how we like to think of God. And there can be all kinds of idols, all kinds of images that we set up in our minds. I don't know, think of God the sportsman, you know, you know, life's a game and, and this God's far too indulgent to worry about our wrongdoing. He just wants us to go out there and have fun. Or there is um, God the policeman. We can sometimes think like this. He's kind of like the opposite of the sportsman. Uh, this is the God who's always trying to kind of stop us from having fun. Um, and he seems like his sole focus is um, 
logging our offences and enforcing the law. Actually, he's only interested in me when I break the law. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe for you, you think of God as like the fireman. Um, you know, people who create this God think of God only useful in emergencies. Uh, to be honest, you know, most of the time God's not required. He can just stay away doing whatever he does. But in the crisis, whether it's a personal crisis, whether it's a work crisis, where it's an exam crisis, whether it's a national crisis, that's the time to turn to him. And he's expected to show up and kind of bail us out, but then kind of go away. You know, if he's real, right, that's, that's, that's what he would do, right? That's what he's there for. You know, to my shame, perhaps, when I was growing up, um, before I was like, I don't know, the age of 16, I think I only prayed to God maybe three times in a kind of meaningful way. And each of those three times was like a triple zero prayer, you know, a prayer of desperation. I was in crisis. I mean, what kind of a God is that? You know, don't you hate it, right, when um, people ignore you all the time and then they only come running to you when they're kind of desperate? Like, why on earth do we think God would be any different? You've got the sportsman, you've got the policeman, you've got the fireman. Uh, there's also the, the astronaut God, or God is the astronaut. I mean, he's real, God exists, but he's pretty remote and he's really out of touch with this world. Sure, you know, we may have had something, he may have had something to do with the place, you know, a little while ago, but now, today, he's just like a distant spectator and has nothing to say or do. You know, mental idols, right? Pictures. Images, distortions. You know, when you hear someone say, well, I think God is this, then the alarm bells should start kind of ringing. We're almost certainly heading for mental idolatry. Material idols, mental idols. Then there's another kind, right? I've called these ones today secular idols. Uh, They're not at all religious, but our life kind of revolves around them. Um, You must not bow down and worship, God says, but we do to these all the time. We worship them without religious ritual, but our life is revolved and centred around them. We lavish our love and our emotions, our energy, and, and often our money on them. And you'll often see them on your colleagues at work, their desks. We hear people chatting about them at the cafes. We'll discover them in our own lives. You know, they're the photos that have started to appear in our wallets and tug at our affections and vie for that number one spot in our life of praise and worship. You know, some are just crude ambitions, right? Career and money and things. You know, the New Testament will speak of greed as idolatry. You know, some are trivial things that masquerade as those must-haves. You know, the must-have, I must have the, the latest fashion or the, the latest electronic gadget where somehow the handbag or the latest iPhone becomes the be-all and the end-all of, end of life, at least until you have it, and then the next one appears in your Facebook feed. Some are idols that dazzle wonderfully only to deceive and prove empty After all, they become the centre of conversation and they promise so much and yet again and again and again and again, they never quite live up to all that they're said to. And some of them, right, are just, I don't know, wholesome loves that we've taken a little bit too far. Um, You know, I live for family. I mean, family is wonderful, right, but we, we weren't made to live for them. They were never intended to be the number one thing in our lives. Exodus 20 
You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And you say this morning, Jacko, thanks for that. That's, that's food for thought. You know what? No, it's not food for thought. It's, it's food for action. I am a jealous God, says the Lord. And this matters. It matters because of God and it matters because of his love. It matters because God actually doesn't want us to settle for second rate. He wants us to have the good life. It matters because look how God describes himself. And it's fascinating how much of this command, command number two, is actually all about telling us what God is like. Uh, So in Exodus chapter 20, Um, Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. Why? For I, here's the reason, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, please understand here, it's it's a Hebrew form of speech. It's not meant to be mathematical, right? It's not like, oh my gosh, I'm caught in sin and I'm not allowed, I can't escape this sin until the fifth generation comes along. It's not about removing justice. It's not about removing individual responsibility. God makes it clear that I face him for my sin, not my parents'. But what Western individualism keeps forgetting is that I am more than just an individual. I'm shaped by others, not least my family, for good or for ill, for better or for worse. You know, in those days, right, you would, you'd get married, um, you'd start a family of your own, you'd, you'd, you'd set up a house, and you'd almost certainly set up your house like as close as you possibly could to the other members of your extended family. Um, Nowadays, right, it seems like we kind of do the very opposite. I want to have a new family and I'm going to set up my house on the other side of the city. Um, But not in those days. the, The family would stay together. You'd have multiple generations living kind of right amongst each other. And given the age that people would get married... If I was the ageing patriarch of the family, there would be very likely three generations around me. So when I turn from the living God and start bringing idols into my life, it will influence them. My distorted worship of God will begin to impact and affect the lives of my family around me to multiple generations. I don't know what you make of there as well, the word hate. Um, So if you make an idol, you are hating God. That's what the Lord says. And again, it feels a bit strong. Like, you know, we teach Stella and Sebastian and Fletcher not to use the word hate. You know, Sebastian comes home from school and says, I hate Jimmy. And we're like, no, no, don't say that. We don't use the word hate. Everyone's a mixture of good and bad. You know, you don't hate anyone. You just might dislike them. The language here is, is strong. And I think actually this word and what we're about to see kind of helps get to the heart of our distorted view of God and how often we can just so easily begin to manufacture God in, well, not in his image, but in the image that we like him to be. Let's think about it like this, right? There's a, there's a man and a woman and they've been dating for quite a long time. Um, they're getting along really well and so the man thinks, right, today's the day. You know, so he, he 
you know, off they go, they go for a walk and they have some lunch and then all of a sudden, bam, he just drops onto his knee, pulls out of his jacket pocket a little jewellery box um, and in there is this sparkly diamond ring and he says to this woman, will you marry me? And she says, well, like maybe, maybe. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, if you lose five kilos... Um, and if you, if you dye your hair like a darker brown, that would be really good. Uh, and if you, you go, if you go to the dentist and sort out your teeth and, you know, they need to be whitened a little bit more. Oh, and that accent, you need to change that accent a little bit. It's a, it's a bit too guttural. Um, oh, yeah, and you need a new job. I'm perhaps a pilot. I've always wanted to marry a pilot. Wouldn't that be exciting? Um, oh, yeah. And, and can you agree to never seeing your family ever again? Because, I mean, they are just, they are awful. Do all those things, yep, do all those things, and yes, I'll marry you. Now, how does he feel about that? He might be thinking, do you like me? Do you like me? I mean, you're suggesting I need to change almost like everything, like my body, my teeth, my career. You want me to even change my family. You don't seem to have a deep-seated affection for me in any sense. You actually seem to dislike everything about me. That's the point here, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I'll worship the Lord, but, but that's got to change, and that's got to change, and that's got to change, and that's got to change. More of that, less of that. Let me reconstruct you a little into that sort of Betty's Burger style God. The Lord says, that's not love for me. I've revealed myself. That is, you don't like me as I am. You want most things to change. You don't really love me. You know, and just like someone in the family welcoming into their lives other idols, displacing and replacing the living God, that generates in us this sense of, I don't want the God of the Bible. I don't want Yahweh. I want him to be more like the God that I really want, not at the God that he's revealed. And again, right? That distorted view of God will affect my family. It will affect all those around me. It will cramp their lives. It will rob them of joy. It will rob them of the best. It will rob them of the good life that God longs to give them. And you know what? It will rob them of the love. Did you see it there in verse 6? Rob them of the love. The love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, a love that never runs dry, a love whose arms are already and always open, a love that never proves empty, hollow, superficial or deceptive, the God who is tended to, cared for, listened to, nursed and, and rescued his people, that's the God who is showing this love. And it's a love that goes on and on and on to a thousand generations I think I read the other day that, um, you know, where we stand today in history, there's only been about sort of 150 generations since the time of Moses and the Exodus. Here's the love of God on display to a thousand generations. It's a, it's a figure of speech that just goes on. And it's a love that shows him up. It's the love of God that shows up supremely in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who says, the thief comes in to steal and destroy. 
But I came that they may have life and have life to the full. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, John chapter 10. The God who loves like that, who's come to bring life and life to the full. Brothers and sisters, why would we settle for anything less? Why worship a God of less? Why allow anyone else to creep in and take that number one position? There's no one, there is no thing greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who died and rose again. The one through whom we find freedom from slavery to sin. The one whom we find rescue from death. The one in whom we have life, the good life, life to the full, both now and forever. You know, June is an odd time, isn't it, for a spring clean, you would agree. But when there's a third person in a marriage, you don't want to leave them there for three days, let alone three months. So right now, today, it's a good time to sweep away the idols off our desk. Sweep away the idols off our mantelpiece in our lounge room at home. Sweep away the idols of our minds away from our worship. And so as we kind of come to a close, we're going to confess our sins to the Lord. Not to make us feel bad. We confess our sins so we recognise afresh that we're loved. Remember what God has done for us and remember that what he's done for us is really wonderful. Today is the day to replace the Betty's Burger style God the God whom we've created in our minds and run afresh to the Lord of the word. God himself, as he's revealed himself in the word, in the Lord Jesus Christ, run afresh to praise him, to worship him, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here are the words we're going to say together. The words are going to appear on the screen. Uh, These words are drawn from Jeremiah chapter 2. And they remind us, right, that we, we exchange Yahweh for other gods, for idols. Let's join together uh, with the words on the screen. Merciful Lord, we, your people, have committed two sins. We have forsaken you, the spring of living water, and have dug our own broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We have exchanged you, our glorious God, for worthless idols. Faithful God, we turn from these things and return to you, our Father, and most beautiful inheritance. Amen. As we close, may the Lord help us to to love him, to obey him, to, to live for Jesus. And to grow to know the God who has revealed himself in his world, word more deeply and with greater love. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are a jealous God. Thank you for that rightly outraged love you have for your people. Thank you for a love that has shown itself, that has proved itself and sacrificed itself to give us the best life, the good life in all of its fullness. 
May your spirit put his finger on those places in our hearts and in our minds where we've allowed others to take your rightful place and give to each one of us the humility and the courage to repent. And we ask this, Father, for your glory, for our joy and the good of those around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.